Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR Streaming live on 3cr.org.au This program is Podcast. If nature calls, Asia knocks on the door. Those electricity people turn up to turn it off. Well, they do it electronically these days. Don't remember. It's podcast. 3cr.org.au. That was Her Right Royal Highness, the great Empress, Dale Bridge. How art thou, Dale? Oh, not too bad, Joseph. How are you? I think our guest is a little bit perturbed <laughs> watching us do work. Now, we have... A very important guest. Every guest we have is exceptionally important for the next 57 minutes. Blimey. No music. Do you play a musical instrument? I can, I can sing a bit. Depends on how the interview goes. Good, <laughs> because we do allow people to play a musical instrument and sing, but we don't allow poetry oh, no, or good, music. Good okay. call. <laughs> good call, yeah. Jeez. So uh, we have Mr. Julian, J-U-L. I-E-N, Vincent, as in Van Gogh. Hey, Julian. Now, Julian, this is very simple. We ask two questions. The first question takes 10 seconds to answer, and the second question, 57 minutes. No breaks, no community ads, nothing. It's all about you. Yeah, he's shocked. (laughs) Now, Julian, the first question, what year were you born? I was born in 1980. That's just to orientate our listeners. We've got people... So, yeah, 1980, it's... uh, I think it's the cusp of Generation X and Y or something like that. Really? Yeah, or so I'm told. I don't know. It seemed to adopt traits. We don't know. No, look, the, the only reason we ask your age is we don't care about that shit. The only reason, cause, <laughs> so we can orientate people because we get people born in their 20s and people born in their 90s. And the, I think we've had people even in the 21st century that are born that we've talked to. So we just want to orientate. This well, basically, is, my body's fading, but it's got a fair way to go. If your body's fading, <laughs> if your body is fading, I'm Superman, <laughs> mate. I tell you, I would be Superman. Now, so you're born in 1980. All right. What's the first thing you remember? The first memory that you'd say is really vivid and cogent would mm. be um, not till I was about five. I remember... What? Yeah. Well, I got flashes of little bits of memories. Well, tell us the five-year-old memory. The five-year-old one is, is – um, so I grew up in St Kilda uh-huh. and I remember my my bike, my, my dad helping me with my bike with my first ride without the training wheels on uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh, me riding along confidently thinking, oh, he's got me by the back of the seat. Uh-huh. By the back of the seat, that's, that's great. And I'm down in Katani Gardens where there's all those palm trees. Yeah. And I, I look – but glance behind me and he's not there. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, when, when he's not there, this whole support structure's not there. Uh-huh. And so I lose control and I plough headfirst into a palm tree. Uh, um, at least it was in the cactus garden. Oh, that <laughs> would have been awful. That would have been awful. 
Now, flashes before then. What were the flashes before oh, then? Little... Because obviously you must have remembered things before. Yeah, before. like when I was about two or three, I've got very vague memories, like a second here or there of being on the Esplanade and places like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I say mm-hmm. when I say I grew up in St. Gilbert, I really mean it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's an area I'm so familiar with. So, you know, the, that little... A little garden that if anyone knows that they're on the 96 tram and they pass the Esplanade, and I don't remember the Esplanade from that age, by the way, um, not the pub, mm. um, but the, the little park next to it, my mum and I used to go playing there. Mm. So a, mm. a few memories like that, but, you know, mm. uh, that's the horrible thing about memories is that they're wonderful, but they do fade away and you have to make an effort to hold on to them. Well, you do. You're quite right. Are your parents still alive? Yes. Uh, well, so we can't say bad things yeah. about them. I can't believe I needed to, to glance up, which normally means you're, I'm looking away to no, remember. Boy, that was a pretty easy but First of all, how many of them are there? Yeah. How many of them are there? Well, how many of them are there? Well, I mean, you could say that it's three. So it's I've got three. my mum married and stuff. Right. Oh, well, as well. Right. we'll go into so that. So it right. does require a bit of well, counting. Well, what was your upbringing like, say, before you went to preschool? What was it like? You said you were really familiar with St Kilda. Before preschool, mm. um, simple. Simple. How really is it simple? simple? Simple in as much as we, you know, I grew up in, when I was born, my I, I didn't have a father figure in my life mm-hmm. from about the age of one to the age of three or four. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then again from the age of 10 onwards, my mum was divorced. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, we didn't have a lot. We didn't have much in the means of income when my mum had me. Uh, that essentially became, you know, a full-time job, so I didn't leave much time for much else. Mm-hmm. And so we, it was a really about small pleasures. Mm-hmm. It was the, the memories, as I, mm. that sort of so flash I'd, of memories of going to the park and, and having, having fun, but, you know, there's, that was all that was needed. Mm. Did, you, did you live in a little flat in St Kilda? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, lived in a few. A few. <laughs> yeah, so, I, right. I think it was probably about right. three or four different flats before I reached the age of preschool. Right. And you said there was no father figure in your life. What, your dad had just disappeared? Or? No, my dad um, was not around. He, he left when I was about one. Mm. I, mm. I'm in touch with him vaguely. Now. Yep, yep. Uh, and then, yeah, so there was no sort of figure like that until mm. I was about three or four when I realised that oh, yeah, my mum's doing this thing called dating. Dating, And then right. they got married and had, a, had another kid, and so I've got a, a stepsister who I think of as a yeah, yep. full-blooded sister. Yeah. So hang on, dating. I guess. This must have been a little bit difficult for a young lad. You'd had your mother 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and all of a sudden she was dating. I think I've seen it with other people as well, other, other kids as well. You just go with the flow. Yeah. Okay, someone, there's this bloke here now. Okay, yeah. fair enough. That's yeah. how things are. Yeah. Uh, I think you're sort of more preoccupied with you know the, right. the shiny thing that's in front of you right. to, to worry about who else right. is in the room. So he was the, he was the, he was the person who uh, helped you with the bike, was he? Helped in inverted commas there. I mean, yeah, helped to a point. But then when I looked around and he wasn't there, yeah, um, right, that right. made for a very awkward afternoon. No, it doesn't. That's, 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 well, there was a lot of crying involved. And, yeah, but, that, but that's, that's from, child rearing in the seventies and eighties. I mean, I mean, we used to get rocks thrown at us. It was no big deal. I mean. Yeah, at least you, in your days you just pushed along on a oh, bike. Look, if these days it happened, you probably the, the dad would be at risk of getting sued. Well, no, well, you'd have community service on your door. So, did you go to preschool? Yeah, I did. I went in St Kilda. In St Kilda, yeah, um, the one that was right next to the old St Kilda train station, mm-hmm. which is another very early memory. Yeah, Taking the la- I took the last ever train from St Kilda into the city along that line before uh-huh. they took it down to put the light rail in. Yeah. What, what, what was it? Did you got any memories of preschool? Um, sand pits, uh, mm. snoozers. Right. I've got. Uh, I 
met some other kids in preschool who uh, didn't realise until I went back and looked at the pictures, but, you know, we're with them all the way through right. high school. Right. And sometimes we sort of leave, go to different schools and then yeah. come back. Because so, St Kilda was a little bit different in the 1980s, wasn't it? Um, yeah, well, it was, it was a lot rougher. Um, it's, mm. it's, very, it's always been a bit sex, drugs and rock and roll, but I think it's really gentrified and tamed down mm. these mm. days. It's still, there's, it's still got its patches, mm. um, which in a way I think gives it its, its own unique culture. Mm. In many ways, you know, you still got the the Gatwick uh, on Fitzroy Street, which not for long. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, Grey Street's as colourful as it's always been. Mm. Yeah. So, so going back, so did you go what St Kilda Primary School? Or no, Kilda in St Kilda East? Park Primary to so start with Park, the one by um, uh, the, the one by Old Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, geez, I might have gone to one in between, but I spent most of my um, primary school years at Elwood. What you, just moved, you just moved, what, you just moved flats again? or Yes, right. actually, yeah. yeah. And uh, what, was, what was primary school like at Elwood in the uh, late 80s? It was fun. Fun? Yeah, it was, I like that. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was pretty cruisy. You know, it's a, it's um, it's um, one of those schools where I think if you, it's so much about the people. If you get the right people there, you get the right teachers and you get the right mm-hmm. mix, it's, it's a nice atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt like I'd, Teachers that I enjoyed having as teachers. Do you remember any Not names? Any, any names? Other I remember, teachers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember Miss Zimbax, uh-huh. who was the PE teacher. Right. Um, and the music teacher, who was Jane Smith, mm-hmm. who um, who put me in the, the school musical. Uh-huh. I warned you about the, the, <laughs> the school musical. Yeah. So, what? So, in primary school, people were beginning to realise you had talents in certain directions, did you? Yeah, one or two fans who. What physical and 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 singing? Um, oh, singing? I, no. I don't think the PE no. was ever no. um, a, no. a strong suit, but definitely with the music. Music? Um, what you like music? Yeah, I, I liked. Uh, I was getting right into acting. Acting? Yeah, very good thing for a primary school kid to do acting. You need, yeah. you know. I, I was I was Oliver in the school play. Oliver, well, yeah. that's, that's the lead. It is. It is the lead uh, and the title and the title. That's it, yep. Oliver. You remember anything about that school play? Oh heaps! What was your parents in the in you know your mum and stepdad in the in, in, the, the, in the crowd? Yeah, 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 they were um, big I proud think, moment, I assume. Well, they go for I think two or three weeks when you're performing, right, so you right. spend you know uh, two to three months getting ready, learning yeah. lines, and, and doing all the choreography, and then yeah. then when you're doing the rolling out the production, it's very intense, mm. and it was loads of fun. I mean, it was it, you felt you felt like you were doing something really special. Mm. Um, you remember and few- I guess it was a bit of a privileged position to be in the lead because yeah. you know that you need to be in so many different places, and you've got loads of people looking out for you, making sure you're yeah. you're where you need to be, and you've got what you need, and yeah. you're, yeah. Not, you're yeah. not about to cry, you're not about to throw yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're about ten, eleven then. Ten, ten. So that would be great. Five, four or five, five. something yeah, you like got that. Any bars you can remember from Oliver? You could sing for us. Any bars? Ah, oh, I could probably remember the bars, but I mean, I was singing about three octaves higher than I could do now. So <laughs> we won't embarrass. So it's no, right. the, the, the oh, it's not about me. I just don't uh, want to destroy anyone's um, radios at home. Oh, no, no. With the uh, the piercing well, sounds. Well, I don't know. Obviously, people thought you had talent. Yeah, they must have thought you had something there. Did you? Did, did your mum realise this or? Did you have a lot of music in the house? Or? Never really a big musical family. That's the way it is, uh, isn't it? You're revolting at 10, aren't you? 
<laughs> no, no music in the house. Well, when the rest of the house is not musically, uh, what would you say? Uh, oriented. Oriented, yeah. yeah. Then maybe maybe someone that is even mildly would stand out right, a lot more. Right, right, right. So you finished primary school and uh, where'd you go? I went across the canal to Elwood High after that. Oh, that's, that's a long journey. At least yes. 10 metres, isn't it? Well, it is when you kick a football in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then that, there's half an hour going so, to Elwood. retrieve that. Elwood High, that, that would be what, in 91, 92? That started in 93, so 93. it was 93 to 98. 93. So you spent the whole five years, six years? Six there. years, yeah. What was that like? Um, again, I mean, I don't know if I'm just looking back through rose tinted glasses or anything, but it was, oh. uh, my memories were always great. Well, um, like, if you'd been bashed around the head, you'd remember. So obviously, a lot of people have good memories. Yeah, have, I think know. I was in that sort of, that, just that right. Group of of kids who we, uh, we weren't doing any bashing and we weren't getting bashed either. We right, were just sort right. of tucked away to the side and we well, we caused a little bit of nuisance and mischief, but we we didn't yeah. really. Uh, right. Well, you're not the, you're not the type of like I'd like to meet in a dark alley. I mean, you can look after yourself. So I assume it's the same in high school. You were growing and you were filling up and filling up. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty slight. Slight. Yeah. Well, you're not slight now. <laughs> You're sly. So, so what did you excel at at high school? Um, English. I English. did very well in. I, I got it. I got my name in the the, the newspaper of the top <laughs> ten thousand out of forty thousand kids, or something like that. I don't ah, know English, what it was, yeah, but yeah. but I did pretty well in English. Um, I was doing all right at maths. Mm-hmm. Uh, sucked at biology, even though I really. Uh, I, it's one of those things that you always find disappointing, where you. You're fascinated by the subject area, then you find mm. out you can't do it. Mm. Um, yeah, so I wasn't very good at biology. wasn't particularly strong in PE. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you but it was really it was English was the, the main one. I really enjoyed writing. I enjoyed creative writing. And again, it's it's about the teachers. I had a couple of really good teachers who encouraged me to get into writing. Do you, you want to mention writing. their names so they think the, the yeah, effort well, they the put one, in was worthwhile? I'll mention two. So um, hats off to. Gino Don Pietro, mm-hmm. uh, who I don't know, know, know he's in Australia now. He went overseas, but uh, he was excellent. And also, actually, a physics teacher, Stephen Patch, who now I think teaches at Uni High. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, Patchy, um, mm. thanks very much. Had a great time in your class. And I didn't go on to do much physics in uni, sorry, but I gave it a crack. And how about your relationship with other students? How did that go? Um, I was the sort of person who could probably get on with pretty much anyone which mm. is one of the reasons why you know I explained I'm not I, I wasn't in the I wasn't a basher and I wasn't getting <laughs> bashed, bashed if we yeah. want to use the terminology yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, somewhere in the middle played the field played yeah. the field yeah that's right um, yeah. so yeah I could get on with it pretty much everyone had my own small little group of sort of I think we consider ourselves slight misfits but Right. You weren't really. I mean, you, everyone you, I think you, felt you, like that. They had their own small group, and they felt yeah. like they were the they yeah. were the odd ones out. You don't strike me as the nerdy type at high school. I definitely wasn't a nerd. I was no. certainly a dag, though. A that, dag, that would yeah. have been a, that yeah. would have been a theme that defined yeah. us. Yeah. And what happened to the musical career in high school? Um, the the music dropped away. I still enjoyed performing. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that has actually helped me in the work I do mm-hmm. even today um, the fact that I can sit down in a radio interview and not be bothered at all intimidated intimidated no and I know you're doing your best uh, uh, you haven't yeah. even, I haven't even started <laughs> 
How many years have got to go? Oh, no, I've still got... Yeah, this is not the time to, you know, annoy um, no, annoy the presenter because we've got another 43 just write minutes. on my hand. We've got another 42 minutes, you know. Dale, you should have warned him, you know. Yeah. Look, think of it this so, way. You and I are in a canoe, right? Dale's on the, uh, on the bank of the river and we're just... With a little paddle, we're just moving the canoe in different directions. Okay, now I Aren't don't we want to supposed to move it in the same direction. No, 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 different directions. Okay. Otherwise, we would go down the same direction. It'd be a very boring interview. We're going to really piss off the rowing club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, no, this is not rowing. This is the type of thing you do. You know, with your with your partner, a lazy Sunday afternoon. You know, you see a little tributary and you go down there. So we don't want to overturn the canoe yet. <laughs> cool. All right. We had had people that cry. At, during these interviews. Now, I, I'm just warning you, all right, Julia? I may seem like an innocuous old man. See, the, <laughs> for those of you listening, the, the voice says warning, but the, the face says threatening. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, you finish high school. Yeah. Obviously, you're one of these students that did very well, and you could go wherever you like, could you? Well, yeah. I, I did well in English, so I could at least tell people where I wanted to go. Um <laughs> I decided, I had decided in my last year of high school I was going to take a year off no matter what. So I got, I qualified for university, um, which is something I'm really proud of, especially mm-hmm. having gone into university and seen how many public school kids don't get That's to right. go, yeah. uh, which is a vile yeah. situation in this country. But yeah. um, I deferred my course, took a year off, went to the UK. Um, oh, excuse, I'd say me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Oh, sorry. Me. Excuse me. Excuse am, me. I, am I rocking the canoe? No, 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 no. It's all right. We can fill, we can pad. Uh, but why would a young man of 17 or 18 take a year off and be bored in the UK? you got family there or something. Well, what's going on? What's the reason you went to the bloody yeah, UK? Nobody goes to the UK. Nobody, no Australian <laughs> goes to the UK. That's right. Not for a year, <laughs> for a year off. You go through Asia first and then you make your way to the UK. Did you do that? No. You just flew straight to I the had, UK. Until, until maybe five or ten years ago, I had no interest whatsoever in going to Asia, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, to appreciate the, the oh. irony of that later in this conversation. I'm sure but, we will. But you went to the UK. Uh, yeah, went straight to the UK. Funnily enough, met loads of Aussies there. Yeah, well, um, sorry, pretty much every pub I went into. Didn't you leave London or something? <laughs> oh, they spread. Oh, we spread. We spread. Yeah. So you fly we're, to the UK, what, 18, 19? 18 years old. 18, yeah. Buy a, buy a car that's about to um, essentially clap out, mm-hmm. last legs, and, international and drove license. it. Yeah. International licence, which yes. <laughs> apparently was still necessary back then. <laughs> um, this would have been 99. Yeah. And proceeded to drive around as many parts of the UK as possible and just explore, wake up yeah. and, and have no plan and go, oh, I'm going to go in this direction. Yeah. A bit like this interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you... Uh, Except we're not waking up. No, you, no, this is a dream. So, not a nightmare. So did you visit the rallies? Yes. And so relatives. Which, which side? Everywhere. Which side of the family? Um, both. Both. And what did they say? Um, what, you bludging bastard? They said, We're not going to feed you or what? They said, uh, well, <laughs> I've got a lot of relatives in the north of the UK who, if you've ever seen ever seen Snatch, right. are there like that. Right. So um, the, the, one of my memories of, of, of staying at a, at a relative's house was... Uh, they'd gone out and I was the only person in the house and then I get a, a bang on the door uh, and so it's on the, it's on its um, chain and so yes. it won't open fully so I just uh, I say who's there and say we're looking for Mick where's Mick 
There's Michael's the name of the guy I'm staying with. Yeah. Uh, I said, no, he's out. What? Where is he? We need to meet him. Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, and so, you know, really pushing it and being quite intimidating. And so I'm stupid enough to just open the door a little bit and I can see that the, the person who's demanding to see Mick actually looks pretty much exactly like me but with a shaved head right. and a couple of teeth missing. Right. And so um, so I appreciate there's actually a family member say, oh, yeah, Mick, come on in. That's great. That's great. And so they realised that I'm, I sort of clocked it and they said, ah, Royce, so you must be Julian. Australian, come on. Royce, so can you tell me something? Can you drive? <laughs> can you drive? Uh, yeah, I can drive. Fantastic, you can drive. Uh, got a job for you. Got some televisions out in Manchester. Need to get them out here. <laughs> so that's my introduction to some of my family in the UK. Has right, been, right, uh, right. Encouraged to they, move they, some stolen goods. They should have come out across with the first fleet, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, how long did you last in England? A whole year? No, I was only there for four months. It was only supposed to be four months. So it was. Right. A, I think it was a partly a, a plan to escape the winter. So right. I, I worked, saved loads of money. Uh, I what, must have saved about $5,000 and used that to get a car and sustain myself for yeah. four months in, in the UK. And I, I think I just about came back with the last five or ten pounds left. Uh, what were you doing, labouring jobs or bar work? Or? I was a checkout chick. You are a checkout chick. Yeah. yeah, you'd make a nice checkout chick. Well, thank you very much. The girls would... And the boys would be very interested. Well, that, that's why I think so many of my relatives um, encourage me to cut my hair off and tell me I'm not hard enough. <laughs> so did you come back after four months to Australia? Yeah, I did. Came... did. Didn't even bother to go to Paris or didn't feel like you needed to go to the continent? No, I was no. enamoured with, uh, with the, the UK. I, think I, I must have had an obsession with just the, the little countryside and the towns and the fact that you could go from one place to the next and it's a different town uh, and it's only five minutes uh, away and, and the possibilities to explore. Did you go down to both ends, the north and the I south? I did. I made yeah. a point of going from, um, uh, what was it, Land's End to, Lanzend, to yeah. John O'Groats. Well, Dunnett Head is the northernmost point. So I did, and I've gotten photos from the southernmost point looking north and northernmost point looking south. Loved Scotland. Have you been to Scotland? Yes. What did you love about it? How raw it is. How Mm. beautifully raw. You know, in the the British Isles, I was actually there a couple of weeks ago. I was in Bristol, and it's stunning how the further west you go and the further north you go, the more incredible it is. Mm. Um, It's... It's just incredibly picturesque. Well, now you know. And then Scotland's got this way of kind of uh, intimidating you with its beauty. You know, the the, the hills, the, the, the mountains that just pop up out of nowhere. It's like, who are you looking at? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sort well, of now you know why the Romans built Hadrian's Wall. Yes. <laughs> that would. All right, all right. Uh, you come back. What do you do? You start university studies, or you got another eight months to fill this? Yeah, so I, I think I just enjoyed the summer and, yeah, and yeah. went back and did the checkout check job and. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, spent my money instead of saved it and Fair enjoyed enough. a summer, enjoyed being young. Yeah. And then um, what did you do at university? Um, so I started doing, I did a Bachelor of Science. Mm-hmm. And um, so my intent was to, I went to Monash. So do mm-hmm. my three-year course, right. um, learn to be a meteorologist. Meteorologist, so, that, 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 that's fine. Yep. That's, that's an honourable profession, meteorology. There's, yeah, always, I mean, there's always a role for it, meteorologist. I, I, I see no need to defend it. No, no, you don't have to. I mean, these days it's really easy. You've got all those computers and satellites. It's not like the old days where you put your finger out and tested the wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. It's all right. He's speechless. Oh, I just so, choose not to answer that one. All right. <laughs> so did you actually work as a meteorologist? I didn't. Um, uh, right. 
I mean, the dream was to go and work the bureau and mm-hmm. have a career there and make forecasts and mm-hmm. do a appear nine on, to five job. Here on seven seven four, you know, giving you with a yeah. So what happened? Yeah. The dream. Uh, it turns out I'm not very good at physics. What you? So <laughs> you did so. So while Stephen Patch did a great job keeping me up during high school, uh, 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 I, I lasted, I think, oh, maybe one or two semesters in physics and about uh, the same in maths. So it. Luckily, there's meteorology, but there's also climatology. Right. And, um, and so climatology is more around the longer-term sort of work. So understanding the, the mathematics and the formulas wasn't well, so why, necessary. Why didn't you do English? Because you were so good at it and you loved it so much, you know? Why not do something that you're good at instead of something you struggled with? Because I, I don't think English had captured my imagination the same way as weather and climate did. I, right. I thought, I still think weather is a, it's beautiful. I I, mm. I just love it, and I and I loved understanding it, and yeah, it, yeah. you know, it was possibly the right pursuit at the right time for me when mm. thinking about what I want to do at university. Well, I was in Docklands before I came here for this interview, and uh, you're right about weather. <laughs> really made it drab and grey and windy those canyons. It was. <laughs> but get, getting back, so you didn't finish your science course. I did. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. It's just well, the, the the major that I thought I was going to do. Yeah. Um, I didn't pursue uh, right. it moved more into the climatology i was still doing some meteorology right. subjects um but i was i was more shifting over to the geography side and, and as and as i did that then when you go into geography that's a it's a discipline that really straddles physical and human geographies so i started to do some more development so you realized there, there were more countries in the united kingdom when you started doing geography did you yeah so there's <laughs> england ireland scotland wales northern ireland yeah um and then the rest of the world. Yeah, all these places that I, I, I could see from the air as I was going over there, actually, yeah. they're, they're different countries. Apparently. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's marvellous. So did you, you finished your degree, obviously. Yeah, I did. I did finished. Did you do, do honours? I did. I, so I've got a, a Bachelor of Science and a Bachelor of Honours in Arts. In Arts. Yeah. Right. And where does that lead a young man? Um, it's kicked me out into the world. I think the, the whole point of where I am, now I think it's no, got no, less. It's no, no, no. I know, yeah. but it's got less to do, I think, with with what I learned, uh, and more to do with the, the person I became at university. I mean, if right. if we're so, so, what other influences uh, uh, affected you at university? So I had a coming together of two things: one to do with my what I was studying, which was weather and climate, and I was lucky enough to be taught by some of the intergovernmental panel on climate change lead authors who were in mm. what the year 2000 laying bare the, the reality of what climate you mean, change looked like the type of people that mr abbott says are full of bullshit i, I don't, I don't think he were... believes those type of people exist right yeah, just yeah, deny it yeah right but but deny these were the type of people that actually infiltrated yeah, your mind and uh, corrupted you were they that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so out of this so, corruption what actually happened I mean, it's like you're having a transformation here at university. Yeah, uh, it's it's described by most climate activists as the old oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh and, shit moment! And mine happened in a lecture theatre. What happened? Uh, I I've had the the raw horrific nature of climate change uh, laid out in scientific terms, and I could easily translate that and see how how what was presented to me in graphs and slides and and mm-hmm. f- and figures uh, mm-hmm. meant phenomenal transformations in the the geography and the climate of the world and but, but guy doesn't care does he hey guy but, doesn't care guy doesn't care no 
But that that's all right. I, I, I mean, what, look, there's always been transformation, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, and um, we're just, we're just, and we're as just, part of that transformation, species uh, go extinct. And, uh, and you know, did, you, did you see that? Did you see that when you were at, at that lecture? Did you think that, that the human species could go extinct? If we, no, not at I, that stage. Right. No. Well, I still don't think no. that's the case. I mean, right. I think we're preparing the planet to to host more like a billion people rather than the nine billion people that we're heading oh, towards. But mm. I think the human race would still carry on in some fairly brutal form. But but you saw major transformations. Yeah. Through. Yeah, absolutely. It was you could inv- you could picture it mm-hmm. based on what you were seeing in fairly raw mm. numerical scientific terms. And you could tell that the lecturers as well were doing what they always painfully do, which is that let the sort of political conservatism bind them in what they say. But you could mm. see how they were trying to get you to mm. think along those lines that, you know, hey, guys, mm. this isn't just a curiosity here. This mm. is enormous, um, terraforming. Mm. So you were born again. <laughs> but not in a religious sense. You were born again. Uh, no, I just had a big bucket of cold water thrown over me. Yeah, well, most yeah. people, when that happens, they dry themselves and keep going in the same direction. Obviously, you didn't. No, I dried myself and went in a different direction. Yeah, so what yeah. happened when you finished um, well, university? Well, the shows? other thing I was getting into at the university, which determined mm. this, was that I was starting to really get into activism and learn Excuse about me? activism. Excuse uh, it's, me? Is that so a course, act- is it? Activism, is that a course? It's, let's say it's an informal course that you, you, you can at do. Monash it's, university. A, it's an elective. It's an elective. <laughs> yeah. An elective. They may not... You might not get lectures and you might not get teachers for it, but uh, if you're in the right social circle. So, you know, we were having another bout of... You were radicalised. Yeah. Yeah. All right, look, this is 4.31. We're here with a radicalised person. This is... Talk back. Not talk back. This is... Radical Australia. On community radio, 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org. Dot au eight double five on your AM dial. We're talking to Julian with an E, Vincent, and we've just found out he's become a radical. He's been radicalised by his experiences at university. I can hear ASIO knocking on the door. No, no, no. Well, you're you a Muslim? No. Well, don't worry. It's okay. Yeah. You know, they can only work on one group at a time. So you're okay. So here we are, radicalised climate changer. So... You've got to earn a living. What happens when you leave university? I applied for a bunch of jobs and didn't get them. Excuse me? Why wouldn't you get a job? Because I wasn't ready to get the job that I was applying for. I was applying for jobs at environmental offices, at councils and oh, right. staffers for, yeah. for politicians and stuff like that. And, staffers yeah, yeah, for politicians. Well, yeah. candidates and stuff like that around yeah, yeah, elections, yeah. just seeing if you can get some experience in something that's a little you. bit more Yeah, well, you would have sent your CV to me. I would have hired you for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you were actually asking for a wage, were you? <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's the problem. That's, that was the problem. I mean, I was, I think, never going to get into a, a line of work like I'm now, so I'm not going there, but into the line of work I'm doing now by just getting out of university and applying for jobs. Well, so what um, happens? You're, what, you're 23, 24? Yeah. The world's not your oyster. You're sitting there getting a new start allowance. What happens to a young man? You have done your research. We've done no research. <laughs> but I do, I do know about life. Um, I get... Uh, well, I get initially quite despairing about the fact I'm not getting anywhere vocationally uh, and have still been doing the job that I was doing due through university, which was working in a bottle shop and just mm-hmm. doing loads and loads of hours there and saving mm-hmm. up money. And I decided that I would pay off the remainder of my lease, which must have had nine or ten months on it with mm-hmm. the money I'd saved, and 
essentially live off very little mm-hmm. and volunteer and volunteer as far and as wide as I possibly could uh, and just get experience. So what did you volunteer in? I did some volunteering at Oxfam would have been the main one. Mm-hmm. Um, whole bunch of different roles to play there. I was able to work on a, a climate change related research project internally, which was a real privilege because mm-hmm. they were sort of grappling with how to embed that into their own campaign agenda. Uh, bits and pieces for websites, which yeah, was fairly... Primitive in that. Primit- exactly, yeah, yeah. Thank you, that's the word. Yeah, we kind uh, of got in on the very early stages. <laughs> and I was actually looking at some of that work a few days ago as so I was collating some stuff and I'm thinking, oh, how primitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of websites haven't moved on from there. You're yeah, well. quite correct, yes. Ours um, haven't. <laughs> Uh, so, but whatever. Oxfam, who else? Oxfam, Environment Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I didn't make it as far as Friends of the Earth. Uh, well, you weren't acceptable to Friends of the Earth. I know. I mustn't have been scruffy enough. Oh, Ooh, oh. nasty. No, 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 no. Obviously, they had too many people knocking on the door. This was this was the late nineties, wasn't it? No, it would have been two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. Yeah, we've had our. Big financial crisis. I oh, don't know. It's about to come. I don't know. I've forgotten. Oh, we're always in the door of the next one. Yeah, yeah. All right. So what happens after that year? You can only you can only pay your lease for nine months, right? Yeah, that's right. So I got um, a little bit of paid work with Oxfam mm-hmm. right. as a result of that. So that stabilised me. And then for, at some point, I'd hit on the idea that my ideal job was to work at Greenpeace. What made you think that? It must have been the exceptionally good marketing they do. It must have captivated me. I'm not sure. I think it was – I mean, seriously, it was something to do with the the way they go about the work, the mm-hmm. the peaceful civil disobedience, the bearing witness. Um, those strategies I found really compelling. Um, well, they are compelling strategies. Yeah. And – So you joined uh, Greenpeace? I, I applied and successfully got an internship position right. with what, them. what does that so entail it entails working extremely hard mm. uh for, for not a lot of wage. money yeah. yep and uh, being just being challenged um to to mean, pull but... off amazing uh difficult tactics for the campaigns well tell us a few of these interesting campaigns um well the main thing i had to work on that year was the walk against warming so they they haven't done this for quite a while now but every year there was a, a big rally and it was the walk against warming and and my main task was to turn what was, I think, a 300-person walk around um, Albert Park Lake the previous year into a really big rally mm-hmm. the following year. And it was at that time where, if you remember, this is 2006, you had, we were in the back of a really long drought, the inconvenient truth had come out, all of a sudden the mainstream press was running front-page story after front-page story about climate change. Mm-hmm. So it was, sort of, it was very fortunate for me because it happened on this crescendo mm-hmm. of, of concern and so that was an incredible thing for a, a novice, an intern, to mm-hmm. get. I think it was a 30,000-person right. rally mm-hmm. in, in Melbourne. Uh, That's something you're very proud of. Yeah. As an intern, very proud of. Yeah. I mean, most activists would give their left and right arm and their left leg if they could activate <laughs> 30,000 people in one rally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so did you stay with Greenpeace? Yeah, for a long time. Uh, long the internship stay? led to a, a sort of a junior campaigner role, which led to a fully fledged campaigner role. And, so, and what, so, what, what, 
Give us a typical day in a in, in a campaigner's role in Greenpeace. I'll try, but I mean, there's. A, I know they're not typical. No. But when would you get to work? What would you be expected to do? What would you do? Um, would you I'd, ever get home? <laughs> I'd get I'd get up quite early. You'd, you'd check the news. You'd check what's what's coming overnight. Greenpeace is a global organisation, so there's so there's always um, the, there's always something to have coming from campaigns that are running internationally. Uh, get on my bike, literally, as yeah, early what, as... What, what, Didn't you have a Mercedes or Audi or something? Oh, they, made, they made me turn it in. Well, you had to have oh. a, bi- a bicycle. You are yeah. pedalling it. Did you have a motor? Sorry? No. So you got on your bike, literally. This is, that's yeah. my motor. Yeah, yeah. The thighs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what they call that in England, don't you? Come on, come on. You're a, sm- you're a smart man. What do they call the thighs? The thighs? Yeah. In, I mean, they say, how are you going to get from A to B? And you say, Shank's Pony. Right. Didn't you know that? No. <laughs> Never. Yeah, it must have no, been. No, that's northern. That's northern England. Shanks Pony. That's, they're too poor to have bloody cars. That's why I asked him whether he had a licence or not. <laughs> you know? Shanks Pony. Using your shanks, you know? Yeah, that's, right. That's, that's how you get from A to B. But you were using a bicycle. Okay. Could be the accents, too. Uh, if, if you're talking... did, you get, did you get lunch? Do I get lunch? Do yeah. I like provided? Yeah. No. No? What, you you, get, you get a lunch break. You get a lunch break and you've got to scrounge your own lunch. Yeah. So you you have these options like you can go out and get lunch or you can bring lunch in with you. You think you think bearing witness bearing witness um, is a useful tool. Yeah. Why? Um, if done well, it it brings to light and draws public attention mm. to to mm. not just issues but just activities that mm. that no one would ever know about. You look mm. at Greenpeace's capacity with their three ships. Yeah. You know, they can get to places that no one else can. They can they can go to the oil rig in the Arctic that most people wouldn't have a clue is actually trying yeah. to get established and mm. document that and, and draw mm. attention to it. Mm. You know, obviously no one strategy or, or tactical campaign wins on its own, but I think bearing witness and, and documenting is absolutely critical. Well, if people don't know, they don't know, do they? Right. Is Even that- sometimes when they do know, they don't know. Yeah, but, but if they so, don't know... They- yeah. Yeah, they need to know, and Bearing Witness does that. I mean, you know, I think one of the most powerful examples of that was the mothers of the disappeared in Argentina who bore witness day after day after day, dressed in black for decades, and now those who are responsible for that atrocity are now in prison for right. 40 years. So that was a, you know, I agree, Bearing Witness. I, mean, I do a lot of work where you bear witness, and you may have half a dozen people, two dozen, three dozen, but it does have an effect. People mm. don't realise that. Mm. So... What did you do after you left Greenpeace? What year was that? Um, I was there for about six and a bit years. Mm. So 2012. this is 2012. Mm. Um, so I'd had a really good stint. Uh, felt like I'd learned an enormous amount as a campaigner. Uh, felt like I probably wasn't going to learn much more, and so I decided I also wanted to move back to Melbourne. Well, look, so, I, I hate to call you a campaigner. That's a very pleasant way. You're actually a professional agitator. Fine. <laughs> you know, you were paid for agitation. Yeah. Professional, a radicalised professional agitator we've got here in the studio, <laughs> which most people give their right arm to be people who are listening to this. A professional. You know what the word professional means, don't you? Uh, uh, you get paid. Okay. You, you get paid. Yeah. Yeah. So, dream, well, 10 years, Greenpeace, what, eight years, six years? Six years. Greenpeace. But then another four doing what I'm doing now. Another so. four. Who did you join after that? I didn't join. I started. Um, so you started? I, yeah. You're a, you're a sectarian splitter, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Why, aren't you? Aren't you happy with Greenpeace? Well, weren't they radical enough for you? 
Uh, I'd, why'd, why'd I'd, you learned, leave? I'd learned everything I was probably going to learn for quite some time there. So it became routine? Uh, no, it didn't become routine. Mm. Um, I won a couple of campaigns based on stopping, stopping money going into projects that we were resisting. Right. And it made me appreciate the fact that while the, the, the environment movement is an incredibly beautiful thing, uh, there's, we were missing something. It was missing a focus mm. on finance and investment. You know, we we like to rattle off phrases like "money makes the world go round" and all that sort of thing, but That's right. but it, it's really true. It is true. And mm. who's focusing on it? Who's actually trying to hold mm. banks and pension funds and insurance companies accountable mm. for their role yeah. in environmentally yeah. damaging activities? So I thought, well, I want to start something that does that mm. and use the experience mm. I've got to create I was something. Bo- new. I was born again last week, you know. <laughs> What 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 caused you to be born again? I've, I realised after nearly sixty five years on the planet that it's it's all about money, right? And obviously, you may came to that realisation, you know, in, when you're in your thirties, which is incredible. Mm. So you felt that the best way to make the machine stumble in a capitalist society was actually to stop feeding it. No, that's no? that's not how I'd describe it at all. How would you I mean, describe it? Something so- so much simpler and fundamental. Mm, which is what? Uh, if we don't take on the direction of finance and investment, that we're going to lose campaigns. Mm-hmm. We'll keep losing campaigns. Uh, you know, our ambitions were lofty in some regards, but really it was about creating a project that could help others embed finance and investment strategies into their own work. So, for example, when someone's got a coal mine in the that's mm-hmm. being built in their backyard or mm-hmm. proposed to be built in their backyard, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. They're not just going, okay, let's rally the, the local community, let's contact the mayor, contact your local MP, contact mm-hmm. the minister. Mm-hmm. You say, well, that's all excellent and definitely do that. But mm-hmm. here's a list of their creditors. Here's a list of the company shareholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a bunch of things that the creditors have signed up to do that would mean that they really shouldn't invest in that project. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a bunch of other ways to make your campaign more powerful. So let's go back to when you left Greenpeace, what did you form? What organisation did you form? It was a project. Uh, a project, that, right? Yeah, well, I, I was toying with, do you create an organisation mm-hmm. when you've got an idea that's had no proof of concept, though? I didn't want to build this huge administrative burden right. for something that may yep. not work. Yep. You don't want to spend 90% of your time looking after the administration, 10% doing yeah, the work. Yeah, precisely. Yep. So um, I actually went to Friends of the Earth mm-hmm. and said, I've got this idea for a project. Seems to have pretty good mission alignment with what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we become part of Friends of the Earth and do it as part of Friends of the Earth? Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah. And so it got started through there. So we're, we're still a Friends of the Earth affiliate project. Right. So how... Ha- ha- what do you do? I mean, it's all very well. What do you do exactly? How do you fill your day? Jeez. What, uh, you sit in the stock market watching the stocks go up and down? Just, uh, I guess the model mm. is that we conduct research right. into, we, we take information that's really hard to get hold of. Right. About who funds what, mm-hmm. uh, who provides debt, who provides who the equity investors are in companies right. and projects, yeah. and and present that to people in a way that draws the dots between them right. let's, let's, and, let's, and what they do. Let's go back but, a few steps. Let's okay. go back a few steps. Um, how do you acquire that information? We buy it. You buy it. How yep. do you buy it? Uh, there are databases that you can subscribe to. Mm-hmm. That anyone can subscribe to, right. but they cost, and mm-hmm. so we. 
subscribe to the database. So we subscribe to the database. Give, give us some examples. Um, you've got Thomson Reuters. Mm-hmm. You have Bloomberg. You have Project Finance International. You have IJ Infrastructure Journal Global. Um, and what, what do they provide? What? So they, they document and they track the history of, of lending and investment activity right. into, well, everything. But mm-hmm. for our purposes, we're looking at mainly, um, say, major fossil fuel projects. Mm-hmm. And so we learn who the lenders are and, and, and we build up a picture of, okay, who's the most likely lenders to a new coal mine in Queensland? So, so most of these yeah, – going back one step, so most – just to clarify in yeah. people's minds, so most projects rely on finance to get started. Almost all. Almost all. So, so somebody provides the capital yeah. for this to happen. And so you're trying to identify who's providing the capital and who's receiving the capital. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And what information about the contracts they enter into? And Yeah, well, as much as possible. Any, yeah. Anything that will help those who are trying to work mm-hmm. on those projects. Right. Okay. Do you, do you get much resistance? Starting to, mm. which is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not really having an impact until you're getting some pushback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the information that we release, uh, there's always a risk that a, a bank's going to turn around and say that's wrong. Right. Um, but we haven't reached that point, which is good. Mm-hmm. In fact, one good report that we put out, the ANZ said our research seems to be broadly accurate, which is right. about as good a compliment as I could have imagined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we, we want to make sure the research is right because we're trying mm. to put it in the hands of people so they can use it for their own advocacy. So which major groups are providing finance in the fossil fuel industry today? The big four banks. Just them? No, but predominantly. Predominantly. If, if you've got a deal to a fossil fuel project in Australia, there's a mm. 75% chance it's going to involve at least one of the big four banks. So if you're a shareholder of one of the big four banks? Or a customer. Or a customer then you are a couple of degrees of separation from yeah. whatever project we're talking about. But, but, if, but, if, you're a, but if you're a shareholder, what you, what you point out is you've got a potential problem in the future. Is that what you're saying to the shareholders, that this is not a good investment? Um, well, others say that it's not a good investment. Mm. So, I mean, we, we leave the financial expertise to those who've got it, and there's plenty that are pointing that out. In fact, the banks are learning the hard way. Mm. You know, we've got mm. deals that are going sour, banks writing off debt that's... Um, gone south on mm-hmm. on mines and ports in Australia after mm-hmm. the the last little boom that was had and everyone got a little bit too carried away. Mm-hmm. So they've they've got a burnt hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also got a short memory though. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're chasing profit, doesn't matter, does it? Now, when you say they've got a short memory, is it the same people who are using the same tactics, or is it you just get a it's a culture in the banks? I think it's cultural. Cultural. Yeah, it's a it's a real short termism sort of culture. Right. So, so, what do you say to a major shareholder who's invested in fossil fuels? Um, depends if they ought to be on site or not. Mm. You know, if they let's say they're a shareholder of a of a miner, mm-hmm. and we know that there's a, a huge civil resistance against a, a project that miner wants to to run. Surely, it's in the shareholder's best interest to know that hey, this. This project, there's a whole load of flaws in the environmental impact assessment. There's a whole load of community resistance. Don't mm. expect a, an easy ride. And because those have what we call material outcomes mm. on the project, potentially the company, and yep. the shareholders wear that. Yep. And so surely they'd want to know. Yep. You know. It may mean that if, if a company's 
thinking about doing three different projects. One of them's got mm. you know a whole load of red flags attached to it. Well, it may be that by pointing those out to the shareholders, they can mm. steer the company away from the most damaging projects. Well, there's been a few damaging projects which have gone belly up recently. Have you been involved in that in those campaigns? Um, any in mind? Oh, I'm not going to mention any, but I'm just saying there's been a few uh, banks and major financial institutes that have decided not, institutions have decided not to invest in certain projects. Yeah, uh, we're I think we're talking about Great Barrier Reef ports. That's right. Yeah, yeah, um, we've, we were hugely involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's now a dozen major banks have ruled out all or part of these mega mines that are proposed in Queensland, the Galilee Basin mines, like the Adani one mm-hmm. that is still very much a, a threat, mm-hmm. and the, the ports that are connected to it that would be built in the Great, Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were there right from the start. You know, One of the things I love about campaigning is you, you win with a lot of other groups. Yes. So there was a huge effort to get the Deutsche Bank initially to who were in business with Adani, I think still are, mm-hmm. to say they wouldn't fund the expanded port. But we managed to get that over the line and that allowed us to then go to the, all the other major coal lending banks mm. and essentially just take off the table all this area of prospective funding. Mm. Um, still a long way to go. I mean, that project is very much alive and kicking, but mm. we've made it a lot harder um, and we've got to keep going. We've got to keep so breaking who, the banks do, up against who it. Who do you negotiate with? How far up the pecking chain do you go? Uh, we've... We'll typically talk to the each bank and will have a team of people working in corporate social responsibility. I guess it depends on how... Excuse me, could you just Ooh, repeat that? Yeah. What's, what was that word? Corporate social responsibility. Yeah, sorry, that may seem a bit oxymoronic. Right? Exactly, that's um, what I was thinking. I was, yeah. I was thinking of Pauline when you said that. And at, time, <laughs> and at times it can, can, can certainly be. Mm-hmm. So, but each but bank has got one because I understand they've that. Got a, they've got a department, they've got a division that mm-hmm. will do that. Uh, Mm. And so that's our natural initial mm. point of contact. Then beyond that, I guess it depends on how much of a risk, how much of a threat mm. the campaigns are, mm. to how much, uh, how how seriously they're taking the issue. So you might end up in a room with a someone who works on specialised finance mm. who would actually be assessing the the, the potential deal right. uh, and pointing out the the risks and challenges ahead of there. You might meet with one of the many people that the banks have working in the government relations team mm. as mm. well. Mm. So it'll depend on where the campaigns are up to, uh, how seriously they take the, the risks of the project itself, but also the campaigns. Right. So you have obviously you'd have um, contact with this major superannuation funds because they're a great source of financing and they're, yeah. buying, they're buying into these things in, in a big way these days. More so. You know, this yeah. is one of the biggest challenges we've got now is making Australians think about their superannuation because mm-hmm. mm. who does? Uh, well, if you haven't got any, if you're old like me, it doesn't matter. But but most people have, haven't they? They, they don't have. Realize. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, they get their little statement once a year, and they go, "Oh, that's nice." There's, yeah, we've well, we didn't seem to make too much money, but that's all right because the my, my neighbour didn't make too much money either. And this is mm. this is the issue we got. The superannuation industry is one and a half trillion dollars. That's right. And we've always, through our super, been connected, not just connected, but actually invested in companies who may do things that we're fine with. Often do things that we that rub up the wrong way against their values. Mm. And so, and it's getting worse. 
because the money's growing and as the money grows, which is not necessarily a bad thing of itself, but it's being it's looking for homes to go to. And so as all these assets like in Australia you, get privatized, can I um we're getting more and more invested in it. No, I understand. And we see it every week, but can I give you my address so you can get tell that mate to come to my home? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. You got 1.5 trillion. It's sitting there. 40% of every dollar that's invested in the stock market today will come from an Australian-based superannuation fund. Yeah. 40%. That's 40%. That's a huge amount. I mean, superannuation was a brilliant way by which you got workers to actually invest in the very system that oppresses them. Mm. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant concept. I mean, it increased the available. And I've, we've seen them now buying into uh, toll roads, mines. Well, can I give you a, a yeah. classic one? Yeah, last, a classic. last week, the... the Ausgrid, which is the, basically the Hunter Valley's yep, yep. Um, electricity network, was sold and it was yep. bought by Australian Super and yep. Industry Funds Management. And yep. Industry Funds Management manage funds for mm. a whole load of Industry Super Funds. So yep. essentially now about well, 10 to 15 million Australians mm-hmm. have a vested interest in maintaining the Hunter Valley electricity network, which is predominantly coal-based. Yeah. So that's all of us have a financial vested interest in mm. the status quo now. Mm. Uh, that's what I mean by it's getting worse. The, the, these funds are being increasingly directed into what's already there, and uh, there's there's no intent. We're talking about an industry that's asleep on the wheel, uh, asleep at the wheel in terms of climate change. So, well, why are you so concerned, fixated on fossil fuel companies? I mean, they're I, nice I, people, aren't they? I, I'm interested in the livable planet for a livable planet, a, a livable planet for humanity to exist in. Why do you want a livable planet? Um, I don't know. I'm alive now, and I kind of enjoy it. Uh, you got any kids? No. No. Oh, well, you don't need a livable. But I, I've hopefully I've done 35 <laughs> years. I'd like at least 35 more, and I, uh-huh. and I, and free I think score others deserve the opportunity. Free well. score in ten. Just be praying you'll be fine. You get your free <laughs> score in ten. It happens every time. So you think you think fossil fuel doesn't have a future? I'm worried that it does. You think it does have a future? I'm concerned that, I mean, of course, it has a future. It'll be there tomorrow, it'll be there the next day. It's a question right. of how quickly can, can we get ourselves out of it and right. will it be fast enough? I right. think we'll win. Renewables already wins mm. in many ways. Mm. And so we'll phase out of this sector. The question is how quickly. Mm. Uh, and, we, and can we get the sorts of industries like finance to proactively manage us out of it rather mm. than just sort of sit on their asses and say, oh, mm. we'll transition over time as everyone else does and... and absolve themselves of the, the power and influence that they have mm. and, and the opportunity to make a change. Have you got any plans for the future? Um, uh, for the next couple of years or so, I do. You want to share them? Try and become about as powerful an environmental organisation as we can possibly be in Australia. Mm-hmm. How about uh, personal plans? I mean, every soldier needs a rest. Yeah, well, you know, I've created this this organization now and it dominates my life Mm -hmm. and i'm happy for it to do that for another couple of years but i think what i want to do is set up a situation where i can leave Mm -hmm. and so i think the next couple of years i want to win a lot of campaigns i want to support Mm -hmm. a lot of people i want to empower a lot of people but Mm -hmm. ultimately i want to build an organization where i can walk out the door and it does Does as well Mm -hmm. preferably better Mm -hmm. as a result that's That's right that's the personal aim it's called forward planning yeah so it's good. So how do people access the material 
that you have? Is it publicly accessible? Yeah. What do they do? What do they do? Marketforces.org.au. Marketforces.org.au. Yeah. Sounds a bit official. Marketforces.org.au. I'd rather think of Market Forces as something we participate in rather than get told about. Yeah. So what happens when they go to that website? They can find out about investments by their bank, right. other banks, super funds, their super funds in, yeah. insurers. You mm. can go and work out how exposed your own personal super is to fossil fuels and then most, most importantly do something about it, mm. actually have your say. Um, or even transfer your funds and tell them why you're leaving. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. That's why yeah, you're leaving. but make, making sure your voice is heard one way or another. Mm. That's mm. the critical thing. Mm. So you're basically providing information to providing, people to make rational decisions? Providing information in order to allow people to be powerful, right. to influence the institutions. Right, we, right. We, don't, we don't get this information because we think it makes nice, shareable graphics and stuff like that all put mm-hmm. on the website for the mm-hmm. sake of it. Mm-hmm. When people go to our site, we give them information, and in exchange, we ask them to do something, to, to actually tell their, their financial institutions what they think about investments in fossil fuels, and we hope mm-hmm. that's not going to be particularly pleasant. And are there an increasing number of people accessing that information? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're still orders of magnitude from where we want to be. But, yes, it's growing. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Julian Vincent, for sharing these thoughts with us and, more importantly, with our listeners. I mean, uh, interesting, as you said. You cut off the lifeblood, you destroy the beast. (laughs) You don't have to cut off its head. You just stop it feeding. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, and we wish you all the best for the future, and I'm sure with people like you around... Old men like me and young people like Dale can go to bed feeling happy that there are real warriors out there fighting on our behalf. All the best for the future, and hopefully you'll get back to the UK to do a bit more fencing for your relatives. All the best. I'll look for France. <laughs> Thanks. Everybody knows that the day is so loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody